If you will, join me, with, join me in prayer real quick. Lord, I ask that you, uh, would you be here with us? Your word tells us that when we gather in your name, your spirit will come. And it's that that I'm depending upon this morning. Lord, I'm depending on it to, to make up for my failures, when I stumble, Lord, I ask that that not just be too distracting for people. And I ask that as I deliver the sermon I have prepared, that the message that you would have be received, be received by those who are hearing my voice. God, it is in great faith that I pray this and ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Acts, Acts 5. I'm going to start actually at the end of Acts 4 and then get into Acts 5. And as you're finding that, um, I want to talk to you. I'm preaching about authenticity. And, and, and authenticity as compared to or the, the opposite of authenticity, which is hypocrisy. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be real with you. Um, we're running behind schedule. Um, I'm also going to be real with you. I usually preach for a long time. So I'm going to do my best to get through this as quickly as I can. So please forgive me where I mess up. And if things don't quite line up, I may be skipping something that, that actually was important. So I apologize in advance for that. Um, those of you who have been here uh, before, you guys have and heard me preach, you've heard me pray a very similar prayer each time. And that's to, that God make up for where I fail. Now that's intentional. Uh, it's not just something, you know, a, a platitude. Uh, you guys have probably noticed uh, there's some things that I am not very good at. Uh, reading is one of them. Uh, I've never been a good reader. Uh, I was diagnosed with several learning disabilities as a, as a young man, and they still uh, kind of haunt me. So I will stumble over things. I'm being authentic. I, I struggle... Uh, with lots of things in my life, and we're going to talk about some of those things as we get into this. So let's start talking about the church. We're talking in chapter, uh, looking at chapter 4, at verse 31 and on, we see a picture of the early church. Now this is a church that has gone from 250-ish members to thousands of people in the course of days. Right? This is a revival like we rarely see in modern times. And in modern times, when we have a revival like this, we've got resources, right? We've got books and pamphlets and study guides. We take advantage of some wonderful material for our Sunday school groups. They had none of that. Some of the people who were in their church had only been believers for months. And now they're being called upon to teach and lead hundreds of people. So this was a, a really kind of an amazing time in the early church. And part of this was these people who had come and, and had converted to Christianity were visiting Jerusalem. And they now, by, by professing their faith in Christ, they were not welcome in their homes. They'd been kicked out of the synagogue. They couldn't do commerce. They just were hanging out in Jerusalem 
Like, okay, now what? We believe, yes, Jesus the Messiah, I got it. Now what? So a problem happened in the early church. Is there was a lot of extra mouths to feed. And the early church did something that was amazing. We see this in verse 32. We see people who just started, uh, they just, people who had things just started selling. People stopped counting their, their, their belongings as theirs and just started treating everything as this is God's. And if God's people need it, then God's people need it. This is a beautiful picture of a response to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the, the Holy Spirit fills you and you start looking at other people and seeing them as God sees them. And trying to meet their needs above your own. This is beautiful. And we see in this process, this happening, so... Uh, Quickly, a quick aside. This is the scripture that some people point at and say Jesus was a communist. This is proof that Jesus in the early church was a communist. And they use it as a structure to say that's why we should be communists and, and support a communist government. Now, there's one major distinctive, distinctive factor here that they dismiss. This was all voluntary. There was no force or coercion done in any way. That is the difference. It is the complete difference in why it is totally different than communism. Okay? So, we see, um, we see an example of this in verse 36. We see a guy named Joseph um, who was actually called by the apostles Barnabas. And this is an important guy. Later on, you'll see he follows, he travels with Paul and he sets up different churches. He's really a, a cool guy. Gets a lot done. Um, and like the Bible, he's got to have two names for the guy to make it more complicated. So, but that's who we're talking about is, is Barnabas, right? And Barnabas does this thing that other people are doing. We, we think... The Bible mentions it, mentions him particularly, maybe because he was so influential later on, maybe because he was the first person to do it. We're not sure why. But people started selling property and bringing them up money and laying it down at the apostles' feet and saying, hey, do with this as you need. Hey, there are people in need. You know about that need. Here, take, take, take this money and go serve those people. And that's the setting. That's where we are right now for verse for chapter 5. And we pick up in chapter 5 on verse 5. We see uh, a powerful word, which is the word but. Because we're about to see something different than what we've been talking about. We've been talking about this church. Everybody is of one spirit. They're, they're throwing all their money together. They're taking care of people's needs. Really kind of a utopia when you think about a church setting. And we're about to see what is uh, often referred to as the first sin of the church. Now this doesn't mean that people in the church weren't sinning prior to this. They're sinners just like we are. So they, there are plenty of sins going around. But this is the first time that in the context of church we see there's recorded this kind of public religious sin. So I'm going to start reading verse 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. 
and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? A couple things real quick to point out here. Your heart was designed to be filled with something. Your heart was designed to be filled with something. Have you ever felt or heard someone say, my life, something's missing, I feel empty. Well, yeah, that's because life is empty. That's, that's why that's there. That's why you feel that. Because we are made to be filled with something. And ultimately, your heart's going to be filled with something. We see back in verse 31 of chapter 4, we see what filled the heart's of this church. And it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Right? And now we are seeing Peter is saying, Hey, Satan has filled your heart to lie. Now there are many other scriptures I'm going to skip over that talk about filling your heart and what the Spirit does when it fills you and the response of that. But I want to point out that Satan, according to Jesus, is the father of lies. Jesus says this in John 8. He calls Satan the father of lies. So, a couple things real quick. Um, this is not a giving sermon. All right? This scripture is actually not about giving. That Some of you may be happy about that. You may thought I was going to pass the plate one more time after the sermon. No. It's not about giving. Alright? It is not because they didn't give enough that Peter is rebuking them. We're about to see why he is rebuking them. Okay? So I'm going to pick up here again. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 4. While it remained unsold, so this is Peter talking to Ananias, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to a man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So here we see, uh, we see a man who has lied. Now there were other people who have lied and didn't die on the spot. Okay? We see a man who was greedy. He kind of implied that he was greedy. He held back money. Again, there are plenty of people who are greedy that don't die on the spot. So, there's something extra going on here. Right? This is not only about telling the truth. It's not only about placing value on money and, and worldly possessions in the right place. This is a deeper conversation. This is a conversation about being a hypocrite and being hypocritical. And most importantly, being a hypocrite when it comes to your faith. 
So, so listen to this, okay? We, we see a couple of interesting things about uh, Jewish culture that I'm going to kind of run through quickly. Uh, we have uh, the young men were here. A lot of people talk about this as if it were a, a church service. And they're going to talk a little later about the church service lasting three hours because they were still there when his wife came. Um, maybe that would be a good defense for me to preach a little longer this morning than I, I, I might. But no, I, don't, I actually don't think this was a church sermon. This is, they were just sitting around doing their business. So they, uh, I think the young men were there because Peter was teaching them. So I don't think it was a church service per se. I think it was a, they were learning about God. They were dwelling on the Word. We also see that, um, one, the young men did the work. Right? This is a respect thing. This is something our society needs to pay attention to. Young folks here... You need to look up to those around you and you need to respect them. Even if you don't know them, you need to respect them. Alright? I would say young men in the crowd and include myself in that measure, but I think I've missed that mark now. I think I'm a little too old to say that. The younger men, you need to look up at us older guys and you need to respect us. It doesn't mean you're going to do everything we say or it just means you need to treat everybody with respect. You treat, treat particularly your elders. So, so these young men, they, they also, we see something else in, in Jewish culture, is they bury people immediately. Right? They didn't have embalming. They, they didn't really understand how microorganisms work. But they knew that people got sick when dead people were left around. Right? They're, they're unclean, so we're going to get rid of this immediately. Boom, the guy's dead. I'm hoping somebody took his pulse or held a mirror under him or listened for a breath, wrapped him up, and they carried him out. Okay. Also, Jewish culture, they buried people outside of the city, which is why it took them three hours to go to the tomb, put him in, and then come back. So we'll pick up in verse 7 here. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So small pause here. It is good to know that the early church struggled with communication issues. No one had told her. It's been three hours. Nobody told her that her husband was dead. We struggle with communication too. It's good to know that we're in the same boat. Okay? So, verse 8. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So... Um, there are lots of great things going on in the church. The church is growing. And then this happens. So I'll, a couple things I want to point out. Peter gave her a chance. He gave her a chance to confess. Right? We have a chance to confess too. In our service, we actually build in a time of confession because confession is important. It's important for believers to confess their sins. 
Something else to point out here um, is that uh, this, this last verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church. Can you imagine the fear that would have gripped the people in that, in that church? Oh my goodness. We just saw two people struck down dead. And, and I want to I say to you guys, we, this is something that, um, honestly, I don't preach enough about. I don't preach enough about the fear of the Lord. It's kind of countercultural, which really is why we should preach about it more than we do. But we need to be afraid of God. There are things we shouldn't do because we should be afraid of what happens when we do them. We will be held accountable. Now there's a wonderful piece of this, which is that we have Jesus. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But as a church, we should try to do what God wants us to do. And as people, we should strive to find God's will in our lives. And we should pray that He gives us the strength to live out that will. This church was definitely not a seeker church. Having people die in your service does not bring people to you. We see in verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. You see, when the church is real and authentic, when the church fears God and tries to be in His will and seeks out God's will for their lives, people see that and they respect it. They may not understand it, but they see it and they respect it. And they respond by saying, I want some of that. I want whatever, that, whatever you've got, I want some of that. Rachel talked about this. We talked about giving an account for a reason for our hope. When people see our hope, they should say, I want that. So I'm, I'm going to kind of skip through a couple, skip down a little bit. We see here, later on in, in the chapter, we see, we see other folks. We see the apostles and other believers preaching. And the local authorities got mad at them. They didn't like what they were preaching, the Jewish authorities. And so they, they grab them up and they throw them in jail. And the Holy Spirit of God comes and opens up the jail and lets them out. And then closes the jail back. And the jailer doesn't know what happened. So that basically, just magically, or mystically, mysteriously, however you want to say it, supernaturally, frees them from jail. And um, 
And the council calls them back because they're, they're basically going to try them and, and in their minds they're going to kill them. And they, uh, they go and get them or they go to get them and they're not there. And the jailer's like, I don't know what's happened. I've been here all night. I don't know. So they, somebody comes in, a messenger comes in and goes, hey, you know those guys that you're looking for that broke out of jail apparently? They're, in the, they're right out here in public. They're in the church preaching in Jesus' name, which was the problem. So they went, and, and this time they didn't grab them up and force them to come. They kind of asked them, hey, will you come and talk to the council? Because now some people are scared, right? The public is surrounding them. Everybody's supporting them. So they come and they talk to the council. And the council is trying to figure out how to kill them. And there's a politician there, a member of the council. And he speaks up in their defense. And he says, hey, look, we, we've had this before. People come and claim to be the Messiah and a little movement develops. And it always goes away. So let's just let this go away. Because, hey, you know, we risk opposing God if it's true. And his argument carries the day. So they bring him back in and they beat him. Because that's still acceptable, I guess. All right. So they bring him in and they beat him. And then they let him go. And we see here in verse 41, it says, When they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching in the name uh, that, excuse me, teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So we have two examples here. One example is Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. They were doing something. They were not being authentic. They were giving. And claiming to be giving more. They were claiming to be something they weren't. In order to gain glory, maybe. In order to, to gain favor, to look better. And the punishment was grave. The, the ramifications were grave. And then we had this other group of people who were doing something that not for their glory but for God's glory. As a matter of fact, they were beaten. So, seek glory, receive judgment, and death. Seek to glorify God, receive suffering, and rejoice. That's just weird. That's broken. right? That doesn't make any sense to us. But that's the way it works. So I've been talking about hypocrisy here and, and in the final minutes. And I really want to define my terms. Because there's two ways of defining hypocrisy. And the first is hold, having a standard and failing to live up to it. And by this definition, I am a hypocrite. I hope that we are all hypocrites. There's an old saying that I've heard a pastor say that somebody came to him one day and said, I'm not going to go to that church 
Because it's full of hypocrites. And he said, yes it is. And there's room for one more. Why don't you come on? Because that's all of us. I believe that Jesus Christ is the standard for behavior. And I fall short of that every single day. So under that definition, I'm... But that's not the definition that I'm talking about, though. Not the one that I'm condemning with Ananias. The definition I'm, I'm condemning is the second definition of hypocrisy. And that is when you are faking it. When you are acting like something that you are not. And the word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek word for actor. And that's what it is. It's acting like something you're not. So it, it's important to realize that God knows the truth. Psalm, 39, Psalm 139 tells us this. O Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, You know it already. You see, you can't hide something from God. So, as we're wrapping up here, I, I want to talk about something. I, I started off on this positive note talking about the church and how wonderful the, the church was at this time. And now I'm going to wrap up by talking about hypocrisy in our church. And there's some things we've got to think about. There's some simple things. You know, when I was a kid, we always put on our Sunday best to go to church. And I understand the concept of being reverent when you come before God. I get that. That's why I'm not wearing shorts and a t-shirt right now and sandals. Because that's what I would be wearing if I didn't, if I wasn't afraid of offending some people. And, and people, I, I, I'm afraid that some people would think I was being irreverent with the way that I filled the pulpit. So I don't dress like that. I dress like this. But we need to think about that. Because there are sometimes somebody may walk in this door not dressed the way we are. They may even be addressed in a way we would think would be inappropriate for church. And we need, we need to make sure that we don't apply a standard that is not biblical. We don't need to be making up extra rules. Because remember, Jesus would be in sandals if He were here today. So, um, I told you at the beginning some of the things I struggle with. I'm going to tell you a couple more as a wrap-up. I struggle with intentionality. Particularly with my time. I often waste time and feel rushed because I've wasted that time. I, I ask you to pray for me. I ask you to ask God to help me be more intentional. I'm a flawed person. Do not put your faith in me. There are two other pastors here. Brother Ken and Brother Kevin, who's out. 
They're traveling. You don't need to put your faith in them either. They are flawed men. They are sinners. Just like me. You need to put your faith in God. Children, listen to me. The adults that you are sitting around, they're sinners. And this is hard to think about. And they're going to let you down unless you expect them. They're going to let you down if you expect them to be anything less than sinners. And adults, you need to have these conversations with your children. You need to ask forgiveness when you fail them. You need to model for them what God has called us to do, which is ask forgiveness. Confess our sins to one another. You see, we're called to be authentic with one another. And there are reasons for this. You see, when we're not authentic, when we act like we've got all our stuff together and we keep people at arm's length, sometimes it makes people who realize they're sinners, it makes them think God can't use them. Because they think, well, they've got everything together and, and that's why they're doing this and serving in this way. And I'm a sinner, so I'm, I'm just going to sit in the back and let, let that happen. That is not biblical. God uses the weak because He is strong. God uses the powerless because He is almighty. Another thing that it does is it prevents the person who is not being authentic from addressing the sin in their own life. Because they've always got to keep the mask on. Always got to keep the guard up. Can't ever address the sin that's actually there. This also, the same thing also prevents for true community and unity from forming. Because if I've got to keep you at arm's length because you can't see the real me... We'll ne we're never really going to have unity. We're never really going to have community. It also prevents God from getting the glory when there are successes. Because people will look at the hypocrite and say, wow, that guy's great. Look at what he's doing. No. Be authentic. Let people know that God is doing this, not me. God is the source, not ourselves. This isn't a self-help. And the last lesson would be because this causes people to doubt God when we fail. Parents, this should hit you and scare you. Teachers, elders, this scares us. When I was a young man in youth group, we had an associate pastor in my church that was in charge of the youth group. And he presented himself to be a powerful man of God. And we looked up to him. He was athletic. He was charming. 
He studied. He could sing. He led the, he led the music at our church. He was just this gifted, talented guy. And man, he was holy. And we looked up to him and we, we put him on this pedestal. Right up to the day he ran away and left his wife and two infant children for an 18-year-old. And he destroyed people's faith. Because we had looked at him we put our faith in Him. And He'd let us. So folks, don't put your faith in us. We are failed sinners, just like you. But let me tell you who can put your faith in. Because we're be talking about being authentic, and, and there's a reality here that you've got to be authentic with God. Now, what does that mean to be authentic with God? It means acknowledging that you are broken. You are sinful. You are rebel. And that you can do nothing to secure your salvation. You don't deserve it. Being authentic also means being realizing that Jesus is who He says He is. And that Jesus was authentic when He said, I pay the price. Put it on my account. And God was who God said He was. When He said, I am holy and can't be in the presence of sin, but I love you. So I'll send my Son to pay the price. To execute a plan that God made before the foundation of the earth. You see, to be truly authentic, you've got to start with be authentic with God. And then it will expand from there. To be authentic to the people in your life that love you. The closest to you. Husbands to your wives. Wives to your husbands. And then you'll be authentic with your children and your families. And then you'll be authentic with your church. And you'll find yourself being authentic to complete strangers. And you will be disarming to them. Because they will look at you and say, something's wrong with you. You are being real. You are talking about things that hurt you. You are loving openly. You're, you're opening yourself up to be hurt by others. And you will say, yes, because this is who God made me. And they will respond to that and they will seek out the loving God. And they will ask you about it. And you need to be ready to share that. So as the musicians come forward, I want to thank you for listening so attentively. And I want to acknowledge that we, we are not, none of us are in the place where God, we're not done yet. God's still working on us. And it's my prayer 
that as God reveals the truth to you, that He calls you to an authentic relationship with Him. A relationship where you can put your complete faith in Jesus Christ. Because we are saved by grace through faith. If you want to talk with me or with Ken about anything that I've said today, I would love to have that conversation. We're about to have a time in our service where we respond to the Word. We believe the Word when it says that it will not return void. Now that response is going to be seen in prayer. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. And if today is the day you want to profess your faith in this Jesus Christ that I've been talking about, we would love to celebrate that with you. So the altar is open. God, we thank You for everything You've given us. God, I thank You for Your Son. And I thank You for this chance to be authentic with our lives. Give us the strength to do that. Help us to open up to one another. Help us to be the people You'd have us be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.